Hey there, and welcome to the One Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. If you'd like to know more about life at One Church, visit us online at weareone.church or check us out on social media. So welcome to One Church, everybody. Uh, great to be with you this morning. Uh, we, in this part of our service, we always do this, uh, take some time to perhaps read something from the Bible, encourage one another, challenge one another. Uh, and if you're new to us today, you know, we have new people in all of our services, uh, what we like to do with the, this, these uh, conversations, these talks, is we like to put them into series. We find that if, uh, if something's worth talking about, then it's worth talking about for more than one week. So we'll start a series today that's going to take us through for four weeks in total. Uh, and the series is called this. The series is called Vive la Revolution. Mm, yes. Uh, picture it now. It's the 1780s. The French Revolution is reaching its peak. Napoleon stands in front of the people that have overthrown the monarchy and he goes, Vive la Revolution! Woo! Yeah, you really, really took me to that place in history. Thank you so much, everybody. Yeah, I think we're discovering British people would be terrible at a revolution, wouldn't we? Like, can we just have a vote? Um, we're really good at that. <laughs> uh, so, vive la revolution, which means this, it means long live the revolution. Long live the revolution. And the reason that we're going to spend a few weeks on this theme is because we believe that Jesus was the most revolutionary person to ever walk this earth. Okay? Now, I'm going to make a little bit of an assumption here that because you're in church here today, you're, you're, you're either in agreement with that or you're on a journey of exploring that and you're kind of seeing how it goes or you got dragged here to church by your other half. Um, so, but, but largely, we're going to go like, I think we're in good space and good company to go, we believe that Jesus is the most revolutionary person to have walked this planet. And through this series, what we're going to do, we're going to look at some of the words of Jesus because not only are his words, were his words revolutionary in the first century, but we're going to find that regardless of your faith position, regardless if you'd call yourself a Christian or not, or an atheist or a theist, or regardless of any of that, we're going to realise that actually at least the words of Jesus were revolutionary, not just then, but they still hold weight today. Okay, they still hold weight today. We still believe that today Jesus is the most revolutionary person ever to have walked this earth. Okay, so to help us, we're going to define revolution like this. So what is a revolution? A revolution is this. It's a call to change at every level. It's a call for change at every level. So long live the revolution. Vive la revolution is this, that something can change and it's a call for change, not just in part, but in whole. And our prayer is that during this series, and by even by the end of this message, we're going, yeah, let Jesus be revolutionary to me again. So that, that he can call me to change at every single level. Um, it turns out it's a little bit more difficult than that, but I'll just let you know where we're going by the end of it. Because, uh, well, if we can think about who are the revolutionaries of our world, there's, that, there's dozens and dozens, even hundreds of people that we could talk about. We might think about someone like William Wilberforce, who through his activism and campaign brought an end to slavery, in, well, as it was, slavery still exists, modern slavery. But what a revolutionary William Wilberforce was. What about someone like Martin Luther King Jr.? Revolutionary in his words to try and end segregation and racism in America. And that fight still continues around the, around the world. Uh, Emily uh, Pankhurst the, uh, for championing equality and women's rights and to vote in the UK. Wow, what a revolutionary she was, right? Uh, just think about what you're wearing today. Uh, if you're wearing a pair of jeans, you have Levi Strauss to thank for that. 
And I don't, not just because you're wearing a pair of 501s, but he was revolutionary because he turned the jean into something that everybody could wear for every, for every single day. Isn't that cool? Oh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, okay, right, if you own a pair of Nikes, raise your hand. If you own a pair of Nike trainers, raise your hand, very, very nice. Okay, good. Uh, so you might be here today and you've seen that, or Amy, she was leading there and you've gone like, nice trainers, Ames. She's wearing a pair of Nikes. Uh, did you know how Nikes were made? Bill Bowerman revolutionised running shoes. He was an athletics coach and he was looking at the shoes his runners were using and then he looked at his waffle maker while he was making breakfast one morning. True story. And he, decided, he poured rubber into his waffle maker to create a brand new sole for shoes that revolutionised the way that runners could run from that moment forward. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, and we wear them to watch TV and on the sofa. Hooray! Have that, runners. <laughs> Revolutionary, right? Well, in, in a moment, I'm going to ask us all to turn somewhere in the Bible. Some of us are going to reach for like an analogue Bible an analogue Bible, like a paper Bible, and we're going to turn to a page and we're going to, we're going to look something up. We couldn't have done that until a few hundred years ago, but thanks to the, the Gutenberg printing press, mass production of all kinds of books were made possible. And at the timing of that, the production of the Bible was incredibly important for our nation. Uh, another revolutionary, William Tyndale, he was the one who translated the Bible into English, so just normal people like you and me, some of you probably speak Latin, you look like that kind of crowd, Oh, but for the rest of us, we needed a revolutionary like William Tyndale to put this thing in English so that it could be something that we could learn from and be inspired by. Uh, but some of us aren't going to pick up a, uh, an analogue Bible. Some of us are just going to reach for our phone or our iPad and we're going to turn open like a Bible app. Uh, and, you know, Steve Jobs, rev- he didn't write the Bible app, but he, <laughs> but he invented inspired and invented the iPhone, revolutionised the way we use our phones. You have more power in your pocket than put the man on the moon. Revolutionaries. So why do we let some revolutions finish and some revolutions continue? That is going to be the challenge for us today because long live the revolution means our lives are constantly changing and what we're going to look at is how Jesus can help us do that. So does Jesus really fit into the same categories as these people? His words might date back to a couple of thousand years ago, but I totally believe that they can still bring a revolution in our lives today. Okay, so let's go for this. Let's, uh, let's, let's take a little dip into one of these. So if you have your Bibles, please uh, flick through the analogue pages to uh, the book of Matthew chapter 5. Or if you've got an app, you can find the app. If you haven't got either, but you've got it tattooed on your arm, just roll your sleeve up. If you've just memorised the whole Bible, then just take whatever it takes to go into your mind palace. Let's go Matthew chapter 5. If you haven't got any of those, don't worry, we'll put it on screen. Um, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5. While you're turning there, let me help you just understand this little bit of context. Matthew, uh, we call him one of the gospel writers. He's one of four people who wrote about the life and teachings of Jesus. Uh, it's called the gospel because the central message of Jesus' teaching was this thing called the gospel or the good news. And the good news is this, that the kingdom of heaven has come. And kingdom of heaven is something you wait for and float around on a cloud in the future, but there's a way of experiencing fullness of life right here, right now, because the kingdom of heaven has come to the kingdom of earth through Jesus. And Matthew is one of these gospel writers that's trying to help us connect into the teachings of Jesus here. So Matthew chapter 5 is one of three chapters called the Sermon on the Mount, and that's because it was a sermon spoken. Anybody? You guys are on it. Here we go. Just a couple of lines from this, this sermon. Okay. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and 
hate your enemy. Can I get an amen? Uh, but, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is something that you can think about tomorrow when you go to work because your boss hates you. Like, it's, it's the, imagine how revolutionary this would be if everybody just did this, right? How much friendlier Twitter would be and the comments section under YouTube videos and uh, blog posts and column inches and the way that we gossip about one another and the way that we treat one another in our classrooms and in our workplaces and in our families if we just, oh, simply just loved our enemies. Yeah, it's not easy, is it? That's why no one's going, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it's proper hard. But the first part, this is how we understand just how revolutionary Jesus was. It wasn't just to be able to say things that sound good and that would change the world, but they're purely hypothetical and totally impossible. Uh, if we're going to understand how revolutionary Jesus' words w are, we need to know first how revolutionary they were. Because Jesus didn't live in 2020, did he? He lived in the first century. Uh, and and this, is, this, is, this is really interesting to me, that whenever Jesus spoke, he was calling for a revolution, but he wasn't just calling for a revolution in one way. The way Jesus spoke was he was able to talk on multiple levels all at the same time. I mean, this is truly a way to really like call for a revolution because he would speak about one thing, but that one thing, for example, loving your enemies, would actually be about three other things all at the same time. Okay, do you want to know what they are? Good. You can leave, but this is the, this is the other option. Right, so uh, here's what they are. Number one, empire. Number two, religion. And number three, lordship. Empire, religion, and lordship. So Jesus' words were calling for revolution against empire and uh, religion and lordship every single time. So this, this is how it works. So we just read. Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbours. Now in the crowd that Jesus is talking to, everybody did know, know that. That was a saying. In fact, it was more, more than just a saying, it was a law that these people followed that dated hundreds and hundreds of years. So when they said like, hey, you've heard it said, uh, love your neighbour, everyone goes, yes, we have. We have heard it said. In fact, we talk about this all the time. It's part of our law. It's part of our ancestry, our history, and hate your enemies. And they go, yes, we have heard this saying, love your neighbour and hate your enemies. But here's what's really interesting for me, is that love your neighbour is part of their law, this is they were brought up on this law, but hate your enemies was added. So they took what was a law that this uh, people group followed and had seen them through uh, generations and they began to modify it to be about not just loving your neighbour, but about hating your enemies. And in fact, this wasn't even just about the people you live next to, this was about race. So loving your neighbour was being good to the people that are of your type, and hating your enemies gave people an excuse to keep everybody else at arm's length. And so remember, Jesus is always talking about empire, religion, and lordship. And in this, in this as he says, as he reverses this or, or tries to bring a new revolutionary twist to this, he doesn't just say, so love, uh, love your enemies. He says, and pray for those who persecute you. He's, he's reversing this thing to give us a new way to operate in this, in this world that the religion that you had 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 told you that you can keep other people at arm's length, but I tell you, you love everybody regardless of whether they're your people or not your people. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And not only that, but pray for those who persecute you. Whoa. No one wants to do that. But you see, who's, the, who's persecuting them? Because it's not just about religion, it's also about empire. 
and Jesus was speaking in first century and the empire of Rome is the empire of the day. Everybody Jesus spoke to, especially this people group, knew what it was like to have the boot of the Roman empire on your neck. The way they treated these people, they treated every people, this is the way the empire spread, you learn about this in year five. They would spread, around, they would spread from country to country, they would uh, oppress and, and hold back, they would tax people so they had no money, if they had no money they had no power. They would, they would, they would contain people so that they had no political power, they would completely change the landscape from top to bottom. It's the empire of Rome, they're the enemy. More than that, they're the persecutors. And Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for the Roman boot that's stifling the oxygen into your lungs. Truly, uh, truly revolutionary words. And the other reason, the other level to this we say is, is about lordship. So what, what's lordship? Lordship is uh, whatever has control of your heart. Uh, only one thing can have control of your heart. And whatever has control of your heart has control of your life. Uh, the Bible language for that is lordship. So have, imagine a seat here, and that's your lordship seat. Uh, that might be career, it might be money, it might be family, it might be uh, a number of different things. And one of the things that Jesus was trying to teach was like, only when God is in that lordship seat does everybody else, everything else find its right place. And the reason that we can't pray for those who persecute us or love our enemies is because pride sits in the lordship seat. And that stops us from doing bold things like praying for our enemies. You see, just in that little example, there's those three layers going on all at the same time. He's uh, calling out for change from top to bottom on all levels, on the level of empire, on the level of religion, and on the level of lordship. And all we ever wrote was just like, love your enemies. Cool, that sounds tough. But there's always so much more going on in the way that Jesus wants to call a revolution from top to bottom. So uh, here's, a, here's another one. Okay, should we move to, move to a second one? Now, some of you went to Sunday school. All right, I'm going to read... A little bit of a parable from Jesus that if you enter Sunday school, two things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to know how the parable ends, right? Because you've heard it a load of times. Number two, you're going to think you know what the application is because your Sunday school teacher told you this is what the parable means, right? So some of you are going to think you know where this is going. For the rest of us, we can actually enjoy it in its purity, all right? So this is, uh, as you go on there, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, uh, says this. Uh, a little bit of context here, what's going on? Uh, Jesus' disciples were trying to pray for number of different people and uh, one of those it describes as a, uh, a demon-possessed boy uh, and they tried to heal him and nothing was happening. Jesus walks over, heals the boy and they go, Carl, what's going on? Jesus, why couldn't we do that? And you could. And this is how he replied, because you have so little faith. Oh, thanks for that, Jesus. Uh, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, now I told you, your little... Sunday school bells are ringing in your brain right now. Because you know the next part says, if you have faith as, uh, as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. So if you have just, this is what, and this is what we're told is the application, right? That if you have just a tiny bit of faith, if you could just believe just a tiny little bit and mustard seeds, God, have you seen a mustard seed? So tiny. If you could just have that much faith and you can say to a mountain, move from here to there and nothing will be impossible. We're like, whoa. And we put it on bumper stickers and make it our like, phone wallpapers and we put it on canvases on our walls. Nothing will be impossible. Just faith the size of a mustard seed. You just need a little bit of faith. And that is absolutely true. That is part of what Jesus is saying. But do you remember, Jesus is revolutionary because he's speaking to three levels all at the same time. He's talking about empire, he's talking about religion, and he's talking about lordship. And, uh, and, and this is what's going on in this little parable. 
So he's talking about this uh, faith the size of a mustard seed and you can move a mountain uh, hundreds of miles away. Rome is being rebuilt by Caesar Augustus, hundreds of miles away. You don't, we don't know this from the Bible, we know this from, uh, from other his, history and archaeology. Hundreds of miles away, Rome is being rebuilt. Caesar Augustus has decided he wants to turn the city of Rome from the city of brick to the city of marble. And 200 miles north of Rome are some mountains which have been, still today, are being quarried for their marble. Beautiful, white, marble. Marble represented purity and uh, righteousness. And so uh, Caesar Augustus employed, I say employed, just got thousands, thousands of slaves to take big breeze block sized chunks of marble out of the mountain, carry it down the mountain, put them onto boats and sail, them, sail the marble down the coast. Uh, to Rome, and they could carry, then they would, more slaves would carry that in, and they were rebuilding the city, building by building. Right? So, uh, now imagine what's going on on this part of the world. That you can see this mountain this, uh, by the coast gradually being dismantled as more and more marbles being taken down from it and taken down the coast to rebuild Rome. The stories that were being told of this thing, this is what we can read about, stories that would say, Caesar Augustus must be a god. Because he is moving the mountains. Because if you were stood in any of those surrounding areas and watched the mountain, you literally watched the skyline change. Only gods can move mountains. Only the empire can move mountains because the empire is the one that has all the power. The empire is the one that controls the political systems and structures and keeps the rich richer and the poor poorer. The empire is the one that will set themselves up as God. And then Jesus says, and if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the power isn't with the empire. The power is with you. The power is with you. So here's how... If you've ever thought that you've been born into the wrong family or into the wrong class system or into the wrong postcode and you feel like the system is against you and the empire is against you, then that parable is for you. Because it's to let you know that you just need faith the size of a mustard seed to move a mountain because it's not just the empires that move mountains. You can move mountains by your faith. Your faith. Your faith. Uh, lordship in this parable is about the mustard seed and uh, what where mustard seeds grow on shrubs mustard bushes and mustard trees and there's something we learned uh, last week that a mustard tree is a detestable image and this would be true of the people that Jesus was speaking to because a mustard shrub a mustard bush is way better than a mustard tree because a mustard bush should be looked after the leaves and the the branches should be trimmed and uh, curated and carefully uh, treated to make sure the fruit and the seed that it would provide would be great if you left a mustard bush uh, unkept it would grow to become a mustard tree and woe to anybody that would have a mustard tree do you want to know a little first century uh, Jewish put down I mean, you can, before you pray for your pers- the persecutors and love your enemies, you can just use this tomorrow at work. Call someone a mustard tree. In the day, shocking. And you can just watch it fly over their head and be like, but I know. I know. Uh, that's what, so free. To allow your faith to be so unkept and so ill-disciplined, to, just to let it become a tree, oh, what a terrible image that would be. But to look after your faith, not just to have faith the size of a mustard seed, but to look after your faith, to care for it, to make good decisions about it, to put yourself in places that are going to make your faith flourish and grow deeper roots and be watered and to produce good seed and good fruit. That 
That is good mustard shrubbery. And this is what Jesus, the challenge he's bringing wasn't just like you just need a little bit of faith. He's saying you need a little bit of faith, but how do you get a little bit of faith? By caring for it, by looking after it, by being well disciplined with it, by feeding it the right thing so we don't let it get out of control. How will you activate your mustard seed-sized personal faith? It takes discipline to culture the kind of faith that produces good mustard seed. Some of this is quite challenging, isn't it? Because we're kind of, uh, we're allowing some of the words of Jesus to be uh, read in a different light and maybe giving us some new information. Uh, and we're going to do this over these next few weeks because we do believe that the words of Jesus are revolutionary. And if they really are revolutionary, they won't just be for yesterday, they'll be for today as well. And we're going to look at how the words of Jesus called, uh, called for change at all levels, but not just in the things we're talking about today, but uh, we're going to look at what that meant for women and equality in Jesus' day and today. We're going to look at what it meant for uh, race uh, and separation and segregation in Jesus' day and what that can speak into today. And so we're going to take a, a few weeks of, of t- looking at these subjects and allow ourselves to be challenged, because this is the truth, right? We can't say long live the revolution if we're happier with the revolution being left 2,000 years ago. The the point of the revolution living on is that it has to still make a call for change in us today. So John, another gospel writer, we mentioned Matthew earlier, this is John. He writes a really poetic way of describing what it meant for Christ to come to earth. He says this in John chapter 1 verse 14. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The Word that was Christ came to us, moved into the neighbourhood, became our neighbour, became one of us, became the way. So that those of us that are trying to find a way to make a connection with the divine, we could have a way maker that could show us the right way to make that connection with Him. He came to be among us, to be one of us. This, uh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is we get this phrase, uh, the living word comes from this. It's one of the phrases we use to describe uh, how Jesus was among us. He was the living word. He wasn't just some old text that were handed down from generation to generation. He was living the text out. If you could read Jesus, you could read the Bible like en- better than anybody else. That's, that's what it meant for the word to become flesh, the living word. And now here's a good test question to check whether Jesus is the living word in us or not. Because if the revolution is to live on, Jesus' words must still call for change today. Here's, here's how we tell, right? Because there's some little traps we can get into. Uh, we came to church or we came to faith through some route and we found Jesus in the centre of this, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, the appointed. We found that he was this way maker. That when he said, I am the way, we were like, do you know what? I see that and I'm following the way. It's helping me live life to its fullest right here, right now. And and then we join a church. Uh, and then uh, what can happen is, instead of being uh, a Christian, so Christ being at the start, uh, we can become churchians. Now this is, like, this is a terrible crowd to start saying, stop going to church, that'd be silly, wouldn't it? But we should be able to answer the question, uh, are you a Christ first person or a church first person? Because if we're a Christian first and a church goer second it makes it a lot easier to deal with all the you know oh this person is this or I don't like the way they do that it's too loud it's too quiet too dark too light too took me ages to register my kids don't know where to pick them up from right but if we're a Christian first 
then we're allowing change to happen in us that can let other stuff happen around us. Or we do this, we, uh, we join a church or, be, or uh, we become part of a denomination. We say like, I'm Anglican or I'm Pentecostal, I'm Evangelical, or I'm Catholic, I'm Baptist. And, and then we become that and then basically that becomes what we are. And once we decide that that's all boxed off and we place that away over there, and then the words of Jesus are trying to bring revolution to us today, we go, oh no, you can't touch that because I've already, I've already boxed that off nicely over here. I already know what I believe about that. Same thing with our theology. We might learn something about theology, about a way in which we can try and understand God. And once we like close that box, stick the brown tape, seal it up, put it in there, and when we read some words of Jesus that challenge what we believe in, they go, no, 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 I'm, uh, I'm this first. I'm this first. It's, like, I'm a, it's my Bible first. This would be a terrible crowd to say, stop reading your Bibles, right? I'm not saying that. I'm saying for Jesus to bring a revolution to our life today, just like he was trying to bring 2,000 years ago, we have to let him be the one that speaks the words into us first, that he calls a change to the empires that we're in, the systems that are holding us in or holding us out, and then the lordship of our life and the religion that has been a helpful, there's so many helpful things about our religion. But that can't be the primary thing, Christ is the primary thing. So long live the revolution means this. I'm positioning my heart to be changed by the words of Jesus again. And you've been a Christian for a long time. That's a great prayer to pray. And you've never called yourself a Christian. It is a great prayer to pray. So long live the revolution. Let Jesus change my life at all levels. Not just because of before, because of today would you stand with me we're going to pray to close our service today uh, I encourage you just where you are before I pray why don't you uh, close your eyes bow your head um, there's a uh, just as you're contemplating now I'm going to uh, pray in a second for all of us that, that want to be a part of this and say yes Jesus challenge me over these next few weeks as we explore this theme and change me and before I pray that, I want to pray another prayer. We often give this opportunity in, in our services uh, every Sunday. I say this, if you come here today and you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus or whatever, uh, but that's a decision that you want to make today because uh, you want to put Christ at the centre, the way maker to see where he can lead us to. Um, then I'm just going to ask you to, I'm going to count to three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you from here. Uh, and then we're going to pray for everybody, okay? So uh, if that's you, just eyes are closed and heads are bowed. Um, after three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. And if there's anyone I can pray for, just raise your hand. Cool. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our way maker. And we position you at the center of our faith, our discipleship. And we call for a revolution in our lives and in our church and our worlds. And I pray that uh, as we unpack this series, that you would revolutionise our lives and change us. That there might be some boxes that you have to unpack a little bit and resort because you're looking to bring change at levels that we haven't allowed you to touch for a long time. But we're going to make a commitment to you today, Jesus. We're going to say, long live the revolution, that the living word is going to change me. The living word is alive and active today. I'm not reading dead words. I'm reading, I'm reading living words. And the living word is going to transform me from the inside out. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're going to finish. The uh, team are going to lead us in a little bit of a song just to help encapture this. I encourage you, either use the words on screen or take these two minutes just to pray uh, and prepare yourself for a revolution in your life. Amen. Amen. Thank you.